Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Last week, I sat down with Dr. Jill Rapley and Jill Rabin, and we talked about adapted baby led weaning, which is a new approach to help babies with developmental delays and feeding challenges. It was such a fascinating episode, so I recommend that if you didn't catch it, to go back and listen. All right, so it's mid-November and it's a busy time of year. Thanksgiving is next week, and whether you're hosting or not, there's a lot to think about. What you're going to cook or bring, will your kids eat it, and maybe how to deal with some difficult family dynamics. At the same time, there's still work and kids' sports and activities and just life. So when it comes to getting dinner on the table this time of year, it's hard to find the time to cook. And maybe you find yourself calling out for food or going through the drive-thru more often than you care to admit. No judgment here, but getting a healthy dinner on the table actually doesn't have to be time-consuming. A big myth is that healthy cooking has to be complicated. It doesn't. It can be some of the simplest cooking you do. That's Sarah Walker Karen, a writer, recipe developer, author of eight books, and founder of the blog Sarah's Cucina Bella, where she shares quick and easy recipes and advice for home cooks. Sarah lets us in on her best kitchen hacks and food prep tips to get dinner on the table quickly. She also explains how to multitask in the kitchen, transform leftovers in delicious ways, and her favorite quick and easy meal ideas. Whether you're a bona fide home chef or hate cooking, you'll walk away with a ton of great tips that will help you save time in the kitchen. I know you're going to love this interview with Sarah Walker Karen. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, let's jump right in. Let's talk about your story and what was your journey to becoming an author, writer, editor, and recipe developer? So many different roles, but all all kind of in the same arena, right? Yes, I kind of see it as all, it's all kind of one thing. Um, I started out um, when I uh, was very young. I knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, and the question that kind of ran around my house and and with my family was, well, how do you make that a career? And I said, don't worry, I'll figure it out. So I <laughs> fell into journalism. Um, I discovered it in high school as a potential career and loved it. So that's what I did when I got out of college. I was a newspaper reporter for a number of years. Um, and I covered everything. I covered towns and how towns expand. And I covered police and I covered your um, country fair and all different kinds of things. Um, but I really found a niche within um, police reporting and court reporting. So I was writing about people in the worst parts of their lives, um, which was um, interesting. It, it kept me interested every day. But when I had my first child, I realized that it wasn't something I wanted to do right then. Um, I wanted to write about something more life affirming. Um, and food kind of came up. Um, as as a potential. I was actually at a conference at um, the college I went to, Barnard College, um, that was for writers. And the New York Times uh, food writer, Melissa Clark, who's also a many times published cookbook author, said, if you want to get into food writing, um, blogs are the wave of the future. So I went home and I had recently left my newspaper job and I started a blog. Um, it was a food blog and I figured, well, 
I'll build up a couple of clips so people can see that I know how to write about food, um, which, spoiler, didn't know how to write about food. Didn't really <laughs> know how to cook at the time either. Um, but I figured it out and and it worked. A couple years later, and over the next couple of years, I continued food blogging and I, I really thought it was going to be a short term thing, um, just enough to get my foot in the door. Um, but I really liked it. And I um, started with the things that I knew and um, built my skills as I went. And a couple of years later, um, General Mills contacted me and wanted me to write for a new blog they were starting called Tablespoon. It's actually a big website now. Um, and I eventually wrote for their other brands like Betty Crocker and Pillsbury as well, developing recipes and writing about feeding a family. So I kind of fell into it, kind of backed into it. It wasn't the way I expected to go. I didn't expect to be working with companies like that. Um, but it really worked out. And then, um, ironically, I guess I was at um, I was at the mothership, the General Mills mothership, for a conference um, with the people I worked with. And while I was sitting there, um, a publisher contacted me and said, "Hey, we'd like you to work on this book." So um, I wrote my first cookbook. I co-wrote it with two other authors, and um, that was kind of the start of writing cookbooks too. Which is great because recipe development was something I learned how to do and did as part of my food blogging and work with working with companies for years. So that's it's nice awesome. to have something tangible. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that you didn't really, you weren't really a cook before. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, so how did that all kind of evolve? I love to eat. I knew I loved food and I loved flavors. And when you have, a child, you have to cook. You have to know how to make things. You can't just order takeout every night. Um, it's expensive, and having a child is expensive. But also, um, it's not what's best for the for the child. So I had to learn to cook. I had been the person in high school. I was at the kind of the last wave of home ec being offered regularly in high schools, and I refused to take it. I said, I will never need to cook. <laughs> that is not going to be part of my life. I am not going to give in to these stereotypes, and and I was wrong. Um, in retrospect, I should have I should have taken home ec. I would know how to sew now. I still can't sew a button. Um, and then, so I have this child. I have to learn to cook. Um, I just started small. I knew how to do some things. I had fed myself through college, and I had fed myself in my early twenties. So I used my small repertoire and just made it bigger and tried different things and um, failed a lot. Um, as you do, and eventually kind of fell in love with it. That's awesome. So what do you see as the biggest challenges that parents have today when it comes to feeding their kids and cooking dinner? And, and yeah, it's true, right? We It's like a necessary evil. We all have to cook. Not, not many of us love it, um, but it has to be done. Right. We have to get food on the table somehow. I think a couple of the challenges that parents are facing today are, one, busyness. Kids today, parents today, families today, they do so many things. So it's pushing that cooking time later and later and later into the evening. And that's a challenge. And that can be something where um, it, it deters somebody from trying to put a meal together. Um, also, lack of knowledge. Um, like I said, I didn't have to take home ec. It was optional. And these days, and since I was in high school, um, it's not even offered in a lot of places. So um, the way we learn to cook has changed a lot. You know, probably 60, 70, 80 years ago, you learn from your family because they cooked every meal. And then schools kind of 
picked up the slack and gave home ec classes. So you learned at school. And now where do you learn? Who do you learn from? How do you learn? Um, so that's, that's, one, that's a problem too. And also food access is a growing problem. We are in a time of rising costs um, and it makes feeding people more challenging. We can't buy the same ingredients we did three years ago on the same budget. That's such a good point. I often find myself not buying enough food because I don't want it to go to waste. Right. You don't want food waste. You don't want to buy, I don't know, a head of cauliflower and let it rot in your, in your refrigerator. And you can't guarantee that you're going to be able to cook it in time. Um, I, for me, I find that um, it's led me to cook less meat. And some of my go-tos from when my kids were really little, like London broil was a go-to. It was so cheap um, and so easy to cook. Um, is something we never make anymore because it's gone from being three bucks for a pretty sizable chunk to being $15 for a smaller piece. And it wasn't that great of a cut to begin with, but it was inexpensive and it was, and I knew what to do with it. Um, so that's changed things too. Yeah. And I guess in some ways it's good because it, it leans you more towards those plant-based options. I know I make a lot of bean burgers and lentils and it it's affordable and healthy. Yeah, and that's kind of the um, balance that we want to strike is affordable and healthy. How do we do that? How do we um, get good, nutritious food on the table that our kids want to eat um, and and stay within our budget? And I do want to touch on what kids want to eat for a second because one of the things that I think is a deterrent to some parents is this idea that there is kid food out there, that there is food that is specifically for kids, that this is what kids like. And it's kind of a misnomer. Um, nobody comes out of the womb wanting to eat chicken nuggets. It is, it's kind of, a, it's a learned thing. And we learn it from our peers. We learn it from going there with our families. Um, so I think one obstacle that parents can get out of their way of is just because your child hasn't had something to eat doesn't mean they're not going to eat it. And I think it's kind of, and it's not across the board. Every family is different. Every child is different. Everybody's needs are different. But if you just present the food as this is dinner, they'll try it. They'll often try it. And it opens up the doors as to what you can make and whatnot. If you're not getting caught up on, I need to make kid food. Yeah, those are great points. What do you think are some other myths about getting healthy meals on the table every night? A big myth is that healthy cooking has to be complicated. It doesn't. It can be some of the simplest cooking you do. Um, and that it's time consuming. Um, healthy can mean from scratch, but from scratch doesn't have to mean that you're spending three hours making dinner. It doesn't even have to mean you're spending an hour making dinner. And also that it's expensive. I find um, I shop a lot at our local farmer's market and I end up spending a lot less on vegetables and other things because the prices there are less expensive. There's less uh, distance that the food has to travel to my table. Um, and that's reflected in the cost, at least where I live. And even with meats, um, the meats in the grocery store have gotten so expensive that buying them at the farmer's market does save me some dollars. So what are your best food prep tips to help us save time in the kitchen? I'm a proponent of taking shortcuts when you have to. And a good example of that is some of my busiest days, especially like back in college. This is one that goes way back. Busiest days, don't want to buy too much, just want to get the stuff on the table. You can buy pre-cut vegetables. You can go to a salad bar and get just enough for what you need. 
And you do pay us a premium, but it does make it faster. Um, there are other shortcut pre-cut vegetables that are less expensive, like bags of chopped cabbage. The ones that like are intended for coleslaw can go into a stir fry, no problem. And it's already done. You're just opening a bag and tossing it in. And it's not super expensive. Um, making extra is another tip I love to give people. If you know you're roasting some vegetables for dinner, it doesn't take you that long to roast a double batch. And if you do, then you have these vegetables that you can stick in the fridge and toss into another recipe or just reheat as a side dish another day. And it's easy. Um, and prep ahead when you can. If you have a Sunday that is, uh, has, you know, it's kind of a lazier day, you could spend some time chopping vegetables or um, however it looks like for you, getting food ready to be cooked for the week. Um, it's really working smarter, not harder. Yeah, I love that. I try to find pockets throughout the week, even if it's, I know people must think I'm crazy, but even the early morning, even when we're rushing out the door, I can find five or 10 minutes to chop up some vegetables and cook them really quick for the night. So I don't have to be rushing around at nighttime. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about using a slow cooker. I'm not a pressure cooker user. I know the Instapot is super popular these days, but I like a slow cooker because the time that I have to devote to throwing things together is often the morning. It's not that evening time. So a slow cooker falls in the same idea of take five, 10 minutes, throw everything in and dinner will be ready when you get home. And what are some of your pro tips for setting up our kitchen so that we do save time and, and we can get dinner on the table really quickly? I think the best thing anybody should know about setting up a kitchen is that it's a very personal thing. And it really comes down to how do you flow in your kitchen? How do you cook in that kitchen? Where do you do your prep work? Where do you open up cans? And setting it up so that what you need is where you need it makes everything a lot easier. Um, and make sure you have the right space. My, um, I moved last summer with my kids and our new kitchen didn't have, it has a ton of um, counter space, but it didn't have the right counter space for me. I need an open area. So I have a kitchen island in the center and that is where everybody does their prep work. My kids make their lunches in the morning there. I make our dinners there. It's where we kind of gather out. It's not even that big. It's ridiculous. But if we, our, my family comes to visit from out of state, we all stand around this tiny kitchen island. Um, and that center space is important to the flow of my kitchen. And so if we're trying new recipes, because we all know that we can kind of get in those food ruts, should we wait until we have more time, like on like on a Sunday morning or... Uh, or, you know, kind of what are your tips around trying new dishes for the week? I think my number one tip for trying a new recipe is always make it exactly as written. The time to deviate from a recipe, the time to get creative isn't that first time you make it. It impacts the results. And if you don't know what it's supposed to be like, the textures and the flavors and whatnot, um, you kind of set yourself up for failure. It's easy to have something go wrong and you feel like you wasted your time, you wasted your money. Nobody wants to eat this. Um, so that's one big thing. But also, never try a new recipe when you're in a rush. That might mean Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon is the time for you to try it. Or that might mean just, you know, this is an evening there where no one has anything scheduled. I am done with work at five and I have some time to um, try this new recipe. You got to have that space there to do it. Um, one of the things that really frustrates my kids when they're cooking, my kids are teenagers now, um, 
is that when they try new recipes, they often find that the cooking times are wrong or wrong for them. Um, and that that comes up because as a recipe developer, when you're working on cooking times, it's always an estimate. And we have an advantage that we probably know the techniques in it really well. Um, and we we know what we're planning to do so we can kind of anticipate and as someone reading a recipe for the first time, you might not have that. And although I know every recipe with developer tries to be absolutely accurate, tries to build in a little extra time, knowing that not everybody chops as fast as we do, for instance, um, they, it can take longer than you think it's going to. But that's really good to know. I, I think that I often, when I bake, I kind of estimate it. But when I cook, I always follow the recipe to a T. So I had no idea that that those are really estimates. Like maybe I sound ignorant, but um, that is good to know. So when you, when it comes to the foods that that can help us save time in the kitchen, you know, there's of course there's pre-cut mirepoix. Um, you can do jarred sauces. What are some other favorite foods that you like that can help you save time? Sure, I love um, pre-cut cabbage or the coleslaw mix, like I mentioned before. It's such an easy thing to throw into stir fries and and other dishes like that. But it can also be used to make a quick salad. You can make a quick coleslaw or you can just make it as an oil and vinegar salad or whatever. It's easy and it lasts. Um, I love jarred sauce. Uh, we always keep lots of jars of sauce in the house because it's a go-to. It's simple. Um, you heat it up and it's ready to go. And on the same um, wavelength kind of pre-made meatballs, um, you can pre-make your own and freeze them and it's the same idea, but there's nothing wrong with buying meatballs that are already made and frozen at the grocery store and they make making dinners so easy on those really busy nights. Um, chicken sausage or any kind of pre-cooked sausage really is a go-to for my family. You can throw it into pastas, you can throw it um, uh, into sandwiches, lots of different ways you can use it. It cooks up in like 10 minutes because all you're really doing is reheating it. That's easy. And we're big fish eaters. And fish is often one of the fastest things you can make. Um, shrimp in particular cooks in minutes. And um, the shrimp you buy in the grocery store is often frozen um, before you buy it. So buy the frozen shrimp, keep it in the freezer, and it's ready to go whenever you need it. Absolutely. So Sarah, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to dig a little deeper into some tips in the kitchen. Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. I know it's definitely helped my kids. So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy this year and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors during the winter, then the Kids Cook Real Food e-course is for you. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. Delicious. This course is designed for kids of all ages, two to teen, and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. 
But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low-income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. So Sarah, when we're in the kitchen and we're cooking dinner, there are ways that we can multitask, right? I'll often kind of boil water for pasta maybe, and then clean the dishes. What are some of your tips for multitasking? Um, That's a great idea. When you set the pot on the stove, um, going and cleaning up some mess that you've just made or chopping the vegetables at that time is a great use of time. It's a great way to speed things up. Um, But one of the things I think about when we talk about multitasking in the kitchen is do we really need to? Um, You know, if we've started the water we don't need to, and the vegetables don't need to start cooking, for instance. It's a great time to catch up with our families and to take a second out of the cooking process or take a second out of the evening and make sure that we're connecting on a human level. Um, We don't have to speed through everything. It's okay not to. And so at the same token, when you're kind of waiting for things to cook, what could you do in that time? Sure. Um, (laughs) That time, like if I'm setting up, pot of water to boil on the stove and I know it's going to take a little bit that's when I run and change my clothes after a long day of work and I um, check in on laundry and maybe check email or take a few minutes and read a couple pages of a book or sit down with a loved one and you know have a sip of something and talk about you know what happened over the last few hours when we didn't talk So leftovers, I'm a big fan, but I know a lot of people, you know, especially some spouses don't like to eat leftovers or or even our children, right? So what are ways that we can still use leftover food? Don't, you know, don't create food waste in ways that everyone will enjoy it. That's a great question. And it's true. Not everybody likes leftovers. I didn't grow up with leftovers. Uh, I grew up in a house where what was cooked was exactly the right amount to eat. so leftovers were this thing that went to waste in my house for for a little while until I um, started to make some changes about what would happen with leftovers. And one of those things is if I'm making something like boiled broccoli to go to with, go with dinner, I know that no one's going to eat the leftovers from that. So I try to make only what we're going to eat that night so that I'm not faced with sad molding broccoli sitting in the in the fridge. Um so that's one thing, you know, if you know so they're not going to eat it, make less. Um, another one, though, is if you are, um, if, you, if the leftovers are something that are going to get eaten, pack them as grab-and-go lunches. So pack them exactly as they should be taken, as they should be reheated or whatever, and it makes it more appealing to grab out of the fridge and go. Um, I have some really great silicone-covered glass containers we use for this. They are leak-proof. And um, having those filled up and and ready to just grab um, is is great for my kids as they go off to high school. Um, it makes the mornings go super easy. 
But for other things like pulled pork, whenever I make pulled pork, we have leftovers for days. And that's something where you can reinvent the meal. So what can I do with this to serve it in a different way? And for instance, maybe you'll make some macaroni and cheese. That doesn't have to be fancy macaroni and cheese and put some pulled pork on top of it. And it feels like a different meal. Or, you know, something like brisket can turn into a pretty creative sandwich with some spreads and other toppings. Thinking about ways to serve it that is not just reheating it uh, is a way to use leftovers in a more exciting way. I also love to throw some leftovers into omelets, for instance, where it doesn't feel like you're eating the same thing at all. I love that. Those are great ideas. So you mentioned your slow cooker. I'm a fan too. But what are some other favorite products that you have that can make cooking faster? I have the most amazing stove. It has this fancy (laughs) setting where it heats up. Ice is hot. So it's called like the two time setting or something like that. So boiling water is so fast and it is the greatest thing ever. Um, Boiling water is probably my biggest frustration in the kitchen because there's very little you can do to make it happen. So that's one thing. A good stove, if you ha- if you are looking for a stove, you know, check out all the settings that are available. There are some pretty cool devices out there right now. The slow cooker is a big one for me. Um, rice cooker is also um, an important item in my house. It cooks rice perfectly. And it's the thing that it's probably the first device I taught my kids to use. Here's how you mix together rice and wash it and add the water and hit the start button and rice will be ready in about an hour. It's It can be done so quickly and it can be done by any member of the family. Um, It's a great thing to have around and makes a great base for meals. Um, Also, a good, sturdy, heavy sheet pan. And the heaviness of the sheet pan is really important because the heavier the sheet pan, the hotter, the better it retains heat, um, which helps things cook evenly. It helps things cook faster. Um, So making sure that you do have a really good, uh, really kind of thick, sheet pan is uh, one way to make things cook better. Um, and sharp knives. Uh, there is nothing worse than trying to mince garlic with a dull knife. <laughs> Takes forever. I love how you get your kids in the kitchen and how they take such a lead in cooking meals. Does that help you save time as well? It does. I think that um, the more we can work together in the producing of meals and the cleaning up for meals, the better it is for everybody. It's less mental load on whoever is the primary cook. And it's a way to come together. Plus, those are the skills that my kids are going to need when they go off to college and when they go off to into their lives. Um, much like I did not have home ec, neither do they. So the only place they're learning how to cook is at home. And so being a recipe developer, I'm sure you have the most amazing meal ideas, but what are some of your easy and quick meal ideas? I do have like very big and fancy ideas I love to make sometimes, but really on the day to day, I am like anybody else. I am trying to get dinner on the table for a very busy family. And we often eat 730, 8 o'clock because of our schedules, because eating dinner together is really important to us. Um And I have these go-to, this list of go-to recipes that are like, are, okay, it's too, it's too late. It's too busy. How are we going to do this fast? One of them is fancy ramen. Those cheap ramen packets that we ate in high school, we ate in college. They are fantastic. Um, I only make the noodles. I don't like the seasoning packet. But if you make the noodles and put them in a broth, it could be a broth you made. It could just be your, you know, bottled broth from the grocery store that you season a little bit. And then adding 
um, chopped vegetables. They don't have to be cooked. They don't have to have anything done with them. You chop up scallions. You um, shave some carrots. You maybe you have some hard boiled eggs sitting in the in the fridge that you chop in half. Um, you can put out all these different options and let everybody arrange their own ramen um, bowl. And it takes like 15 minutes because the only thing you have to do is cook the ramen. Yeah. Any any way that you can get your kids to kind of assemble dinner is really helpful. Like if you do tacos or a taco salad or make your own pasta. Absolutely. Um, another one I love to do is on a similar uh, in a similar vein, sushi bowls. Um, which aren't quite sushi, but we make rice. Somebody throws it in the rice cooker and we have something like shrimp or smoked salmon, both which can either be um, the shrimp can be pre-cooked, which makes it even easier. Or maybe you just cook them. It takes a couple minutes and put out a variety of toppings that can go on it. Avocado, um, chopped cucumbers, scallions. We use a lot of scallions in my house, carrots, um, all different things and let everybody assemble it the way they want to assemble it. It, creates a pretty healthy um, dinner and again, comes together in like 15 minutes. I'm going to try that. So I know that a lot of people advocate for the the sheet pan meals or one pot meals. Are there ways that we can we can cook that also reduce our cleanup time or, or how can we speed up our cleanup time? Yeah, um, one pot and one pan meals are fantastic for that because you end up using a whole lot less stuff. And if you're particularly doing sheet pan meals, if you have a good aluminum foil, one there are some that are nonstick on one side, um, you don't even have to clean the sheet pan because you've had the whole thing covered. It didn't get dirty. So that's one way to speed up um, cleaning in the kitchen. But also enlist help. Um, dinner When dinner is over, dinner's not really over. There's still the cleanup that has to happen. And Make that part of what your family does. My kids always load the dishwasher. That is their job. They have to unload it and and reload it every day. And I do it sometimes if we have tons of dishes, I'll do it uh, morning reload as well. But that makes uh, the cleanup so much easier. And it gives me time to, for instance, put away leftovers in a way that I know they're going to get eaten or um, wipe down the counters, which is an important thing to do when you're done uh, cooking because you don't want to leave remnants of dinner for tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah. And Sarah, do you have any other kind of insider hacks for us? When you are evaluating what recipes you want to make, um, particularly on those busier nights, look for ones with fewer ingredients. Um, the fewer ingredients a recipe has, the easier it becomes to make, the less stressful it is, the less uh, prep work you're going to have to do, and it can still be very tasty. You can also look for either recipes that are shortcuts or recipes that you can make shortcuts. One of my favorites is um, chicken parmesan. I um, don't always bread my chicken for the chicken parmesan. Sometimes I will just take thin that I bought at the grocery store, thin cut for chicken breasts, season them with salt and pepper, um, saute them, and then throw the sauce and cheese on top. It tastes like chicken parmesan. It just doesn't have the breading. And I have saved at least a half an hour and a lot of cleanup time. That's a great tip. Awesome. Well, this was so much fun talking to you today, Sarah. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? All right, there's a couple of places they can go. They can go to my food blog, sarahscachinabella.com, and they can check out some of my cookbooks. Um, the Easy Frugal Cookbook and the Super Easy Five Ingredient Cookbook are particularly great for families who are on a time crunch, who want to cook healthy meals, and who need some fresh ideas to um, start doing so. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. 
That was such a great interview with Sarah. She had so many great tips. Definitely check out her cookbooks, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.